It's good to see Philip and Michelle. Uh, Philip, I don't know, buddy, but when you mortgaged the house and the car to get that ring, <laughs> you, you may have went into a, a, a diamond shop and, and uh, to pick out that rock, and I know this probably isn't large enough to, to have shown it, but they probably put it against, say, a black cloth like this to, to show you. Anybody ever been in a diamond shop and they did something like that? Where they put, okay, a couple of you here. Why do they do that? What's that? To make it look bigger, okay. That's one of those tricks, I guess. The magnifying glass helps too, right? At least the one I bought did. But <laughs> to show the sparkle, right. It, it's a contrast. It helps when you've got the black backdrop. It accents those sparkles. It causes that diamond to shine even brighter. Well, we've been studying in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, and that's exactly what we have in God's Word. Turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, you'll see what I'm talking about. You'll know uh, last week we talked about how we were dead. And our title of this section is Dead or Alive, Ephesians 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. You may remember, uh, if you were taking notes last week, our outline. And last week we talked about the past. Paul's alluding to salvation. Remember, his main audience is the Gentile people. They're in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a very wicked place, a lot of idolatry worship. And so Paul lays out for these people uh, that they were once dead in trespasses and sins. Now, as we will read back through this text in just a little while, I want you to think about that contrast picture that we just described here with the black cloth and the diamond. Because what Paul's going to do is he's going to lay this visual for us to compare the darkness of our life prior to coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And today we will focus on, uh, our topic today will be the present aspect of salvation and how we were delivered. And you'll see the stark contrast. And this is where we will focus today. And Lord willing, next week we'll look at the future aspect of salvation and we will see how we were destined. So with that said, if you would, look in your Bibles, and let's begin our reading in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. If you do not have a Bible, you can look up here. I'll read this off. It says, And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now here's the contrast. But God. What a phrase. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come 
he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As I told you, we're going to be focusing on the present aspect of salvation. We were delivered. You notice that phrase, I I, I kind of uh, camped out there for a second. But God. You see, the bottom line is, dead man, dead people can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. The only thing a dead man's good for is to be buried. And we were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. From the beginning of time, and we'll look at this in just a little bit, but when Adam fell, death was the result. And death entered into the world. That's why things die. That's why we die. But not just physically. You see, when Adam sinned, he died spiritually. It was sometime later that he died physically. But he died spiritually when he rebelled against God. Because of that, his offspring and their offspring and their offspring and so forth and so on, on down the line, you and I, we are born spiritually dead. This is why you have no desire for the things of God, naturally. In fact, when we think we're doing good deeds, Isaiah says our good deeds are like filthy rags. Outside, apart from Christ, apart from being born again, religion is filthy rags. You see, by nature, we walk according to the spirit of the air. We, we walk according to the little G-God, Satan, the ruler of this world. And we pursue our fleshly desires. Um, what we think is right. Each man does that which is right in his own eyes. And we reason and rationalize why the route we're choosing is correct. But apart from the truth of God's Word, apart from who Christ is, it's dead. And it's only by the quickening of God's Spirit that you and I can be enlightened to the truth. And it's in that quickening, it's in that Holy Spirit drawing, it's when you hear the truth of the gospel and it penetrates the heart and it begins to make a little sense to you. And those cords of love begin to draw you to understand what God has done on your behalf, that you respond in faith and repentance and humble yourself before a holy God, realizing that by nature we're God's enemy. And we must surrender our life and our heart to Him. And that's when he makes us alive. So you see that contrast. And you notice that uh, if you're taking notes, here's, here's our outline for today. These are the three points that we will look at today. He's made us alive together, verses 4 through 5. He has raised us up together, verses 6, the first part of verse 6. And he's made us sit together, verse, the second part of verse 6. Now, you'll notice as we go through this, keep the context. He's writing mainly to the Gentiles, but there's also Jewish believers there in those gatherings, in those churches. 
And he is really trying to paint this picture that, look, Jews, you're not the only chosen. God, before the foundation of the world, has grafted in the Gentiles. And, 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 this, and this important aspect of unity is being portrayed. We're together in Christ. There is no Jew or Greek. We're, we're one. And so he's made us alive together. He's raised us up together. And he's made us sit together. So, let's look at this first point. He's made us... Uh, alive together. Uh, notice in verse 4, if you would, please. There, there's a word here, and uh, I'm going to quiz my um, Wednesday night students. I hope you were paying attention last Wednesday night. Wednesday night students, pronounce this word for us. It's a little Greek. I'm, I'm, I'm going to introduce you to a little Greek. It's my friend Vinny. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, this word here, who was here the other night can pronounce this word. You can't see it. Let me come on out here. It's 3D preaching, folks. I needed a contrast, right? Who can pronounce this Greek word? Come on, where's my Wednesday night student? Don't you remember? What was it? Elias. Good, close. Elias. Elias. Somebody tell me what Elias is. What's the word? What's it mean? Elias. Ah. Okay, but, but we talked about this Wednesday night. Man, my Wednesday night students, you are really going to get a tongue lashing next meeting. <laughs> this is true. It's been a couple of weeks. It has been a couple of weeks. It's fleeting. Well, that just means more homework next time. All right. Elias is mercy. Mercy. And, and notice here in the text, you'll see in, in chapter 2, verse 4, but God... You see, Paul gives us this background. He says, you're, you are children of wrath. If we got what we deserve, we deserve God's wrath. We're spiritually dead. We want nothing to do with God. We're His enemy. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love, which He loved us. You see, it's because of God's mercy. We have to fully realize and understand this, church. You've got to realize this. There is nothing in you or of you that can earn favor with God. You cannot go to church enough. You cannot do enough good deeds. You cannot read your Bible enough, praying enough. None of these things will earn favor with God. You can't do that. If you can do that, it becomes a work. And Paul is going to lay out for us in this text. It's not of works. If it was something you did, you could brag about it. I got 27 Sunday school pens. 27 years. I actually had a man tell me that once. Now, he didn't do the whole, you know, he might as well have. <laughs> that doesn't matter. I mean, really, at the end of the I mean, I, I understand, I don't want to negate, but it really, if, if that's what you're banking on, being good enough, going to church enough, no, we're dead. Spiritually, and look, I don't have to tell you this. Watch my four kids. Anybody want to babysit, let me know. From the beginning, that, I mean, you know, little Sarah is crawling right now, and the word most out of mom and dad's mouth is No. No, no, don't touch that. Don't do that. Don't, you know, stop chewing your sister's foot. I mean, you know, 
we don't have to teach bad habits. They come naturally, right? We have to teach them not to do wrong. That's what we have to teach them. Well, why is that? Because by nature, we are disobedient. And, and you've got to realize, in contrast to God, wow, we fall way short, all of us. But God, who is rich in mercy. You want to know what Christmas is about? It's about God's richness. It's about God's mercy. It's about God's love to us when we are unlovable. I mean, we're, we're, let's just look at us for who we are. We are depraved. We're wicked. We're enemies in the sight of God. And He loves us still. Not because of our worth, but because of His worth. Because of who He is. You see, it's all about Him. His richness. His mercy. Because of God's mercy. Every reason for God's mercy and love is found in Him. We give Him no reason to love us. Yet in the greatness of His love, He loves us with that great love anyway. You know, um, we talk about how God has made us alive together. There's another word, and we've alluded to it there. It's another Greek word, and I'm not going to hold up any more cue cards because we've all flunked miserably there too. But I think you can get this one, all right? Here's a chance at redemption. Um, agape. What does it mean? Love. Love. Agape. And by the way, we, we, if you remember the study we did when we were looking at Corinthians, agape love is divine love. The world does not understand agape love. It only understands the sensual love, the eris tense, uh, which is where we get our word erotic. It's a sensual, it's a fleshly. And even uh, married couples who are not believers, they do not have agape love because agape is a divine love. Only a born-again believer can experience and understand agape love because it's agape love is, is the presence of God in your life, the Holy Spirit that's imparted that love to you. So, uh, let's look at this. Um, agape love. Because of God's love. You see, He's made us alive together. The text says, Paul wants us to know, he's wanting the, the believers there at Ephesus to know, that but God who's rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. You are the object of His love. He has lavished His mercy, His grace, and His love upon His creation. Even though all we've done is reject Him, rebelled against Him, chosen our own path in life, God still loves us. Notice this quote from David Guzik. Therefore, we must stop trying to make ourselves lovable to God and simply receive His great love while recognizing that we are unworthy of it. This is the grace secret of the Christian life.
Christian, if you are trying to earn God's love, it'll never happen. With every attempt, you continue to put a great gulf fix between you and God. The best word I can give you is the word surrender. When you come to that place in life where you just, God, I give up. I surrender. I can't do it. I just can't do it. I surrender my life. I give my life to you. That's now God can work with you. You see, that's where God wants to bring us to. He wants us to to come to that point where we give up and receive His gift. I'll give you this story. I was uh, out Christmas shopping the other day and at the big mall of Goldsboro. Wow, get lost there, huh? Um, so anyway, <laughs> um, I'm, in the, I'm in the Goldsboro Mall, and of course I, I'm, I'm shopping for my lovely wife, Allison, and uh, I said, I can't take these presents home uh, because she'll see them, and Lord knows I can't wrap them. Uh, <laughs> I have no wrapping skills. So there's that little booth, you know, where you can go and get your gifts wrapped. And, you know, make a donation. That was, a, you know, a man uh, definitely had to create that idea, or, or probably his wife, actually, to help him out. <laughs> but I go up there, and, and so I'm talking to the ladies, and they're wrapping the presents for me, and, and, uh, and, and they, they're asking, you know, well, you pick out a little sticker, you know, a little tag here for it. And I'm looking through all the tags, and none of them, I mean, they had a stack of them, none of them, had anything to do with Christ. I mean, it was Santa Claus, it was snowmen, it was hollies, it was, you know, these type things. But nothing about Christ. So, so I said, you know, she was kind of, well, can I help you find one? Or you look like you're having a difficult time. And I said, well, is there any of Christ? I mean, it is Christmas, right? I mean, it's Christmas, right? And she says, oh, I see what you're saying. She says, uh, you know, I, I don't think there are any in there. Hmm. I said, that's interesting, isn't it? And then, I said, you know, it's really sad. I said, um, this seems kind of what Christmas has turned into, isn't it? And the other lady kind of confirmed it. And so anyway, so I picked out uh, uh, one and filled it out, and, and she finished wrapping the presents. And of course, I gave a generous donation, um, both quarters. No, just kidding. <laughs> it was 75 cents. No, I'm just kidding. Was, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, really, I did give a little something. Um, but then I also said, you know, I, I, I prompted the Holy Spirit. Um, I needed to give one of those million-dollar tracks. And so I pulled out the million-dollar track and, and said, well, I wish it was a real million. I said, but there's a message on the back that's worth a lot more. And I went to give it to the lady, and she says, oh, no, mm-mm. And she walked off. I mean, that rude. And the other lady, I think, was very embarrassed. She says, oh, I'll be glad to take it. And I said, thank you, ma'am. Merry Christmas to y'all. I appreciate it. Thank you for wrapping my presents. And I left. And I think about this. You see, I offered that freely to that woman. But she rejected it. She wanted nothing to do with it. And that was her choice. She could have received it. The other lady gladly received it. But the first lady wanted nothing to do with it. 
You see, God's grace is a lot like that. God's offered His grace. God so loved the world, He sent His only Son. But there's people in the world, there's people in the pews right now that are refusing to receive what God has offered. The free gift of His Son, salvation, to be made alive. Why are we rejecting that? The one thing that that can give us intrinsic value because of who we are in Christ, the one thing that, that, that we desperately, desperately need. And yet, people are rejecting His love. You know, He's made us alive together. And you'll notice in in verse 5 of the text, it says, even, and that's a key word right there, God was rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see, trespasses speaks of of man as a rebel. Sins speak of man as a failure. Before God, we are both rebels and failures. Stop. Do you realize that? Do you realize this is us? That's that contrast he's, he's conveying. We've got to get this. We've got to understand this. Inherently within us, nothing is good. You say, well, that's not true. I do some good deeds. No, you just think you do good deeds. They fall short of the glory of God. It's only His perfection, only His righteousness. It's only His gift. It's His grace. It's His mercy. It's His love. It's Him. So, turn with me. Uh, let me. Let me paint a picture here for you. Romans 5. Everybody turn over to Romans 5 if you have your Bible. I'm not going to put this up here. It's a lot of text. Now, I'm going to go through this, and I'm going to read it in its entirety. And I want you to grab hold of what's being said here. If you've tuned out, tuned in, okay? All right? If if you've fallen asleep, wake up, all right? If your little internal light has gone off, clap on, clap off. All right, we're going to clap on, all right? All right, here we go. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace. With God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, Someone would even dare to die. But God, there's that phrase again, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
mean, are you getting this? He says we're ungodly. And while we were still in our wickedness, while we're in our filth, unlovable, Christ died for you. He just said, yeah, you might give up your life for a good person, somebody that you care about. But what about your enemy? What about that filthy, nasty, in-depth sin person that, that hates you? But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world... Follow me here. This is good. Listen to this. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. Okay? Remember? Sin was already in the world prior to Moses giving the law. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come, Jesus Christ. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which come through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abound, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a Pauline letter. Paul is, is writing, he's communicating to us there. You notice there again that phrase, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. 
But the free gift, verse 15 noted, that the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. What does this mean? Well, clearly. Even though, and there's a little phrase in there, I know that was some of you kind of maybe looked at that and you thought, well, what does that mean? Where it's talking about the, um, the passage where even when there was, there was no law, um, let me look at that phrase. Um, it said that for until the law, verse 13, for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Well, um, here's what's happened. The law is what shows you and I that we're in need of a Savior. Okay? It's like a mirror. And yet, prior to the law being given, man still was guilty before God. Okay? He was still in sin. Because Adam had fallen, he had transgressed in the garden, he had rebelled against God. The one rule that was given, he transgressed it. We see a result, obviously, clearly, that man was a sinner by nature. Cain, killing his brother, right? Yet, if the law would have been in place, what would have happened to Cain? He'd have been stoned, he'd have had to have been killed. But instead, God puts a mark on him and says, don't touch him. Uh, he was under judgment, but basically, the law had not been set in place, yet he knew he had transgressed, he had rebelled by God, because by nature, he was a sinner. So it's basically letting us know that it, it doesn't matter. From Adam to Moses, so you can't say, well, without, without knowing the law or understanding. And this is why even somebody in a third world country who's never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ is still, he's still guilty. Because by nature, by nature he's a sinner. Okay? It's not that I've heard Jesus Christ that sends me to, or, or, or if I've responded or not, that, that sends me to heaven or hell necessarily. My sin is what sends me to hell. Okay? And everyone has sinned. Everyone. And this is why we desperately need the gift. This is why we desperately need to take Jesus Christ to the third world country. If you're so upset and offended that, oh, holy God could send somebody to hell, holy God does not send anyone to hell. But what about those people? If you're that concerned about those people, get saved, become a missionary, and take the gospel to them. All right? Don't play the little silly games with God and try to rationalize in your mind because you're creating a God in your image. Look at His Word. He's revealed His righteousness. He's revealed His truth, and He's told us we're guilty. So, continuing on, He's raised us up together. We know He's made us alive together. He's also raised us up together. Notice um, verse 6 uh, of this chapter. I just hit something, didn't I? Ah! Where's my tech man? Somebody help. I have no idea what I just did. Hey, look at that. Whew. God gives grace to the fool. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, all right, look at verse 6. Chapter 2, uh, verse 6. And what it says here. He says that even when, verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together 
um, with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And notice that's past tense. You have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In fact, these phrases, you look at these verbs here. The verb, um, these, look at these key words. You can underline these in your text if you would like. The word raised. The word um, alive. And the word sit. And these are aorist tense, meaning... Basically that it's completed, it's done. The, the idea being conveyed here is it's, it's completed, it's finished. So, compare this with me if you would. Look back into verse 1. Uh, you may remember as we went through this text, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe? According to the working of His mighty power, which, which, with which He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Did you notice? Do you see the comparison here? He, he says that he's, and even in chapter 1, he made him alive. He raised him from the dead. Speaking of Christ, the power which worked in him to raise him from the dead. It also spoke about raising him up. It also speaks about him seating in the heavenly places. And Paul now is conveying to the believers, and in this verse he says that you've been saved through grace. By grace you've been saved, verse 5, verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Paul wants them to know, he wants you to know, that if you are a born-again believer, you've received that gift of salvation. It's completed. It's done. It's as if we're there now. Because God is omnipresent. He sees in the here and now. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And in Christ, positionally, we are there now. In the throne room of God. That's why we have free access when we can pray and seek our Father. He's interceding on our behalf. The Spirit of God that dwells in the hearts of believers. It's the Spirit that goes and makes intercession on our behalf. We are there, people. We are alive in glory. We're sitting with Him in glory. We're we're raised up. Death doesn't have a hold on us. When this body goes to the grave, I'm stepping into glory. That reality now is actualized in that moment. And Paul wants the believers to know that. He wants you to know that. Why do you live a defeated life? We don't have to live a defeated life. Paul's trying to convey to us that, look, if you walk in the Spirit, you can experience abundant life. And what do I mean by that? Well, it means that the, the things that used to hold us down. Remember we talked about that, pressing against this, the God of this world, the little G God of this world is holding you down. And when every time we get into our pity parties or we get into our sin or we get into whatever it may be, our addictions, whatever, you're, you're, you're acting like the old man if you're a believer. You're being carnal. You're walking in the flesh. You're still in bondage. Why are you in bondage? And that's like the jail cell is unlocked and you go, close the door. I don't know why I'm in here. I can't get out. I'm locked in jail. I'm in prison. Help me, Lord. Hello? McFly, open the door. You, you have free access. God has given you the victory. And he wants us to know this. 
Moving on. So, not only has He made us alive together, not only has He raised us up together, He's also made us sit together. Uh, Notice this, verse 6, the second part. He said, um, well, compare this to Revelation 3.21. Remember John said, the Apostle John, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. You see, we have victory in Christ. And this is why Christmas is so important. Because it's the incarnation. It's where God intervened. He stepped into the world, robed in the flesh. His only begotten Son. And He lived a righteous, perfect, sinless life because you and I never could. By nature, we were children of wrath. We need His righteousness. 2 Peter 1-4 through Turn with me. I, I have part of the verse up here, but I want you to read the whole context of 2 Peter. And listen to what this, this tells us. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. You see, everything you and I need to live this life victoriously is in Him. And we know Him through His Word. The more of this that you and I understand, the more of this that you and I internalize and live out. He's given us what we need. All things to live a godly life. Why do we struggle when we don't have to? You know, you, ladies, you know, us men want to spend five hours trying to assemble something when the directions are sitting right there, but we don't want to pick it up. No, I can figure this out on my own. Leave me alone, woman, I can figure it out. You know, and then the lady could just pick up those instructions and got it together. Well, she followed the instructions. Hello. Guys, I'm telling us, we have the instructions. Follow it. Follow it. This Christmas season, think about this. Think about, this is a daily thing. Christmas is celebrated every day in the life of a believer. If we're being obedient to God's word, his truth. So, Let's close it up. Application. How do we apply what we've looked at today? Understanding this and understanding that in the context, Paul is writing to these Gentiles and to these Jews, to these believers in Ephesus. What about us? Well, it's all about God. 
If you don't get anything else out of this message, get this. It's all about God. Okay? It's not about you. And let me tell you, that helps every one of us. When we recognize no matter what it is, it's not about me. Okay? Uh, my, it reminds me of my kid, um, Luke. He, he's, uh, he enjoys his cartoons, and uh, he, has, he loves that movie, The Incredibles. And I'll never forget, just to prove the sin nature dwells in all of us, there's this little line in the movie where the mom and dad are bantering back and forth, and the mom yells back at the dad. So one day, my son's being scolded by his mother, and my son decides he's going to repeat the line from the movie. And he stomps his foot and he goes, It's not about you! <laughs> let me tell you, it was all about him after that because daddy, <laughs> daddy let him know real quick. <laughs> but isn't that though like, I mean really, we, we, we think, you know, e- even our worship is this way oftentimes. We, we come to church and look, there's nothing wrong for what does God have for me. But ultimately, it's about our worship to Him. It's about what I can bring to to offer my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. That's well-pleasing in His sight. You see, as believers, we're not our own. We're bought with a price. We're in His service. We want to honor Him, do His will. So it's all about God. It's not about you because of God's mercy. And love. You see, because of God's mercy and love, believer, you are alive, you're raised, and you're seated in Christ Jesus. Therefore, live like it. I want to close with this little story. Some of you may have heard this before. It says, years ago, there was a very wealthy man who with his devoted young son shared a passion for art collecting. Together, they traveled around the world, adding only the finest art treasures to their collection. Priceless works by Picasso, Van Gogh, Monet, many others adorned the walls of the family estate. The widowed father looked on with satisfaction as his only child became an experienced art collector. But the day came when the war engulfed the nation and the young man left to serve his country. After only a few short weeks, his father received a telegram that his beloved son had been killed while carrying a fellow soldier to a medic. On Christmas morning, a knock came at the door of the old man's house. As he opened the door, he was greeted by a soldier with a large package in his hand. He introduced himself to the man by saying, I was a friend of your son. I was the one he was rescuing when he died. May I come in for a few moments? I have something to show you. I'm an artist, said the soldier, and I want to give you this. As the old man unwrapped the package, the paper gave way to reveal a portrait of his son. Though the art critics would never consider the work a piece of genius, the painting did feature the young man's face in striking detail 
and seemed to capture his personality. The following spring, the old man became ill and passed away. The art world was in anticipation. According to the will of the old man, all of the artworks would be auctioned. The day soon arrived and art collectors from around the world gathered to bid on some of the world's most spectacular paintings. The auction began with a painting that was not on any museum's list. It was the painting of the man's son. The auctioneer asked for an opening bid. The room was silent. Who will open the bidding with $100? He asked. Minutes passed, but not a sound from those who came to buy. From the back of the room, someone callously called out, Who cares about that painting? It's just a picture of his son. Let's forget about it and go on to the important paintings. There were other voices which echoed in agreement. Yeah! But the auctioneer replied, No, we have to sell this one first. Now, who will take the son? Finally, a friend of the old man spoke. I knew the boy, so I'd like to have it. I will bid $100. I have a bid for 100 called the auctioneer. Will anyone go higher? After a long silence, the auctioneer said, Going once, going twice, gone. The gavel fell. Cheers filled the room. And someone was heard to say, Now we can get on with it. But the auctioneer looked at the audience and announced the auction was over. Stunned disbelief quieted the room. Someone spoke up and asked, What do you mean it's over? We didn't come here for a picture of some old guy's son. What, what about all these paintings? There are millions of dollars worth of art here. We demand that you explain what's going on. The auctioneer replied, It's very simple. According to the will Of the Father, whoever takes the Son gets it all. You know, that's the essence of the story of Christmas. Now, I know the illustration breaks down. We don't have to put up $100. But the truth is the same in that whoever gets the Son gets it all. It's not because of us. It's all because of Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace. Lord, thank You for Your mercy. We are not deserving of Your mercy. But God, we humbly proclaim this morning, thank You. Thank You for who You are. Thank You for the love that comes from You. And Lord the love displayed in your Son. Thank you for sending Him. And Lord, as we think about Christmas and what it really means, may we never forget, Lord, that it's all about you. We are your creation. And we were created to bring you glory and to bring you honor. May we do this in our life. Forgive us how we fail. Help us, Lord, to forgive others as you've forgiven us. Father, teach us to be your people. 
with nobody looking around this morning. I wonder if there'd be someone here. You'd be honest before God. You've never received the Son. Maybe God has shown you today that in your heart of hearts, by nature, you stand in contrast to His holiness still in your sin. Would there be anyone this morning that would acknowledge that they need the Son? They need His grace. They need to receive Him and His forgiveness. Would you raise your hand this morning if that's you? Anyone? No one's looking. I want to encourage you, if you are here this morning and you have never surrendered your life, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Can I encourage you to turn from what you think is the right path and choose the only road that God has revealed to us. He said there's no other name under heaven given to men by which they can be saved. It's only the name of Jesus Christ. If you're banking on your good deeds, if you're banking on your church attendance, that won't get you there. But the shed blood of Jesus Christ on your behalf will provide you the righteousness that you need so that when you and I stand before a holy God, He doesn't see us. He sees the perfection of His Son. I want to encourage you to put on the Lord Jesus Christ if you've never done that. By faith, acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge that you are a sinner. And receive the only gift that counts for eternity. Father, thank you for this group this morning. And I just pray that you continue to work in our lives. Lord, may we look to you in a special way in this week ahead. Fill our thoughts, our minds, our days with your goodness and grace. And may we serve you in a way that's honoring. In Christ's holy name, amen.